Welcome to episode 11 of Breaking the Ice. My name is Rebecca. And I'm Connor, and we are your co-hosts. Today on the show, we're going to learn more about the thousands of satellites that pass over the Arctic every day. Or more specifically, how facilities in the far north help facilitate information transfers between satellites and researchers on Earth. Satellites, as most people know, orbit around the Earth, but they don't all orbit in the same way. Many rotate in what's called a polar orbit, where the spacecraft will pass over or near both poles of the Earth, including the Arctic North Pole. Satellites in a polar orbit are often used to observe and collect data on the Earth, and somehow that data needs to be transferred back down to the ground. Today we're speaking to a representative of the government-owned Swedish Space Corporation, or SSC, which facilitates this process in the Arctic. In 2010, the SSC established a satellite station facility in Inuvik Northwest Territories as part of their Kinevik concept. This is a partnership between Karuna Sweden and Inuvik Canada to establish a wide-ranging zone of satellite connectivity coverage across the Arctic region. Recently, the Swedish Space Corporation also announced that it would add four new antennas to its polar stations in Sweden and Canada. We are pleased to welcome Dan White to the show today. Dan is an engineer who now runs the America's Business Unit at the Swedish Space Corporation. We spoke to Dan about the SSC's work, the benefits these facilities have for local communities in the North, and cooperation between Canada and Sweden. Now, let's get to the interview. Okay, Dan, just to start off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your current role at the Swedish Space Corporation? Uh, sure, thank you. Um, so uh, I, I'm um, an engineer by training. I've, uh, I've worked in the space industry for about 35 years now. And uh, I started at uh, the bigger companies of, of Boeing and Lockheed Martin building satellites, and then also a company called Comdev uh, that built space, uh, space electronics. And then the last five years, I've been at uh, Swedish Space Corporation, which actually connects with those satellites and brings the data back down to the ground and sends it off to our, to our customers. Um, my current role at Swedish Space Corporation is I run all of our uh, America's business unit, uh, which is, includes North America and South America and all the customer interaction and contracting and basically responsible for the growth of the business in that geographic area. Thank you very much. Um, so could you just briefly tell us and your audience about the history, a, sh a short history of satellites in the polar sphere. What are they doing there? Why is it important to have satellites and antennas in the Arctic? Sure. And um, so, you know, satellites orbit the Earth and, you know, there's a variety of different orbits and the, the, the polar orbit is most notable for Earth observation. And so if you think about how a satellite, you know, rotates in its orbit, the Earth is turning underneath it. And so if you're trying to capture as much Earth coverage as you can, uh, as often as you can, uh, the polar orbit is, is very advantageous. And so um, for, uh, for many decades now, people have launched into to polar orbits for Earth observation, anytime they wanted to look at something, to look at changes, uh, to, to monitor different things at different parts of the Earth, uh, and then to, to be able to get that, that revisit and to make comparisons. So it's um, um, very, very important from that regard that you are able to see the Earth quite often uh, with a lot of regularity. And so when these satellites are in the polar orbit, what are some of the unique challenges that come along with that? I was reading something about radio frequency interference or length and contact times. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so be, because as the orbit goes uh, uh, through the poles, all of the satellites in those orbits are going through the same pole as well. And so you get a lot of uh, congestion. And so uh, there, there's quite a bit of coordination that's required uh, uh, for all of the satellites uh, that are put into these polar orbits. So that's um, that's probably one of the, the major challenges. You know, that in general, I would say that orbits uh, are getting more and more crowded. Uh, there's a lot of satellites being launched. Um, you know, thousands of satellites will be launched in the next uh, 10 years, and a majority of those will be into a polar uh, or orbit for Earth observation. So, uh, you know, we have to be worried about not only the regulatory and the frequency uh, frequency interference, but also just um, the general interference and risk of collision and then creating more debris in space. Turning more to sort of the more specific example of the Kinovit concept, we know that the Inovix satellite station was established in Canada in 2010, and the station works with a Swedish station. Can you tell us more about this partnership and what that means more generally for connectivity in the Arctic? So Kinovic is a combination of our Karuna site and the Inovic site. Um, we have our flagship station in the north of Sweden. It's a, uh, basically the same latitude as Inovic, uh, just above the Arctic Circle, outside of the town of Karuna. And uh, we, we've been in operation up there for, um, for over 30 years, uh, basically providing satellite connectivity for, uh, for many of our customers. Again, as the satellites are going in the polar orbits, uh, they, they go across the poles on every orbit. So the further north or south you can be towards the poles, the more often you can connect with your satellite. Um, so that's why we ended up in the north of Sweden. What we noticed is that Ken, um, uh, Inovic is essentially halfway around the world, but at the same latitude. And so as the satellite is crossing over northern Sweden, it goes through the poles and then it comes down over northern Canada into the Inuvik region. So uh, we worked with um, the Canadian government to, uh, to partner with the Inuvik satellite station in 2010. Like you mentioned, we have two antennas uh, there now, and, uh, and we are looking to expand that. But because the two stations are together, with with antennas that we have at each site, we can provide for very long pass contacts uh, for many of the polar orbits. So, you know, most single sites in the north, um, maybe they can get you know 15 or 16 passes per per orbit, uh, but each pass is maybe you know six to eight minutes long. Uh, we can capture uh, the same number of passes, but many of the passes can be up to 20 minutes long. So you get a lot more connect time with the satellite, and generally the goal is to get as much data down as fast as you can. Uh, so that's why the, that's why we think the Kinovic concept is um, is uh, very advantageous. I know Rebecca has a few follow-up questions, but I just wanted to interject really quickly and ask, um, you've mentioned your customers a few times, but what, what, what are the customers that you're working with? Who are these organizations? So we have a variety of customers from um, uh, you know, governmental agencies, certainly all of the space agencies, and then recently a, a lot of the, um, the commercial Earth observation uh, companies that are, are building small satellites and putting up constellations of their own. Um, there's there's a lot of interest in monitoring the Earth, uh, certainly from a government perspective. Canada and Sweden have shared values uh, of looking at sustainability and, and monitoring climate change and really uh, uh, understanding uh, how it affects the Arctic. So the Earth observation side of, say, NASA and ESA, uh, JAXA, CNES, DLR, uh, those are some of our key customers operating out of the um, the Inovix station.
Sort of related to that, talking more about the relationship between Canada and Sweden, what makes them such great partners for projects such as this one? I, I really just think it's shared values. Um, you know, Canada and Sweden, from a, a government perspective, you know, they both have um, you know very strong values about people and and uh, you know kind of work-life balance. Certainly, as it, as it relates to the to the. Um, uh, the climate into the planet. It's about sustaining sustaining the planet, making sure that we leave it in a better place than than we started, and so that those values fit nicely with both our companies. Uh, our companies being Swedish Space Corporation and then um, the CCMEO, who uh, operates the Inovic satellite station. So I think the, the shared values of the countries, as well as the shared values then of the of the um, of the companies, really allow for a great partnership to then try to to grow business together and do it in a, a sustainable, sort of valuable way for the for the planet and for the people. What would you say would be the greatest challenge of working across two countries like this and coordinating an effort across the two governments across the two areas? Uh, it was actually uh, r remarkably easy. I mean, I would say time zone is probably the hardest part. Uh, but then, you know, it's 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 not easy to get to the north of Sweden and it's not easy to get to the north of Canada. And so to get people from each place, uh, you know, together on the sites, um, I, I have a funny story when I, I was asked to go up to Inuvik for one of our management meetings. And I live in, in Western uh, United States in Los Angeles. And I thought, oh, it must be very easy to get up to uh, Inuvik because uh, it's, it's sort of the Western side of Canada. And it took me a day and a half. <laughs> You have to have to stop in Edmonton and then stay all night and go up there, and so it's almost easier to get to um, you know to, to other places across the world. But that's probably the biggest challenge. Uh, they're very remote sites, and so to get people together and really communicating and cooperating, um, that that's probably the challenge. We're you know nine hours apart in time zone, so that's a, a particular challenge as well. But I would say the the desire to do the right thing for the companies, for the governments, and for the planet. Uh, and for our customers, I think that uh, certainly carried the day. Uh, I'm wondering when you're working this far north, one thing that Arctic 360 talks a lot about is the infrastructure gap in Northern Canada between Northern Canada and Southern Canada. And so when you're building these satellites and when you're building these stations, I'm wondering whether or not the infrastructure gap of working a place like Northern Canada, um, is that a challenge for you? Well, it just it just presents uh, unique challenges, but as long as you plan for it, it seems to work out okay. We just finished the installation of a seven meter antenna, and we did it during COVID, and we were able to sort of get people in with um, certain travel exceptions. We were able to use local contractors to get um, the infrastructure built out, and then um, and then we um, we sent folks up from our U.S. office to actually put the antenna together. So. Um, I think if you plan for it and just know that uh, it won't be as fast as doing something uh, in a large metropolitan area, it's uh, it's certainly doable. And you just have to be aware of of some of the challenges. You know, there's there's not as much resource available. That uh, might take a little bit longer. Uh, the the skill I, I will say that the skill sets are available. It's just they if there's a lot of other infrastructure projects going on, uh, they get tied up and they get. Um, you get scheduled. So you just have to be, you just have to plan ahead and, and uh, kind of follow through on it. But uh, we've been very happy with the support we've gotten locally up in, in Inuvik. We've built um, the, the two antennas in the last 10 years. And then uh, we just recently put in a, a seven meter and now uh, we're in the middle of starting another project uh, that by the end of the year, we'll put in another large aperture. One thing that I know Connor and I in our previous discussion with some architects up in Northern Canada, 
a frequent issue that comes up is finding skilled laborers in these smaller communities, just given the nature of the amount of people there, it's harder to find people specialized in these things that are often needed um, when you're building infrastructure in the north. Did you find that to be a large challenge? Did you feel like you had to bring in a lot of people with this skill sets to help or were you able to find community members to assist as well? I, I would say it was a, a shared, uh, sort of a shared challenge. We we did use a lot of local contractors and that's actually one of the, the things that I like about Innovic is that they have um, the skills required to help us build antennas, you know, to provide the infrastructure, do the construction, uh, you know, help set things up. We did bring, you know, quite a few of our own people in as well. Uh, obviously, they're the subject matter experts for, you know, these antenna builds. Uh, but one thing that I am also encouraging uh, both in, in Karuna and in Innovic is because space is so exciting, you know, I hope uh, more and more people get excited about it and really want to take it up and then and kind of pick it up at a younger age, you know, in the school and you'll get your STEM degrees and really, really learn either a trade or uh, pursue a technical field um, so that it can start to to build out further the capability, the skill capability within those regions in the north, because, you know, just being up in the north are going to be a little bit less um, a little less full with with the highly skilled labor that you're going to need, but we've we've not seen a big problem with that at all. Um, so I recently read that SSC has announced that it's going to be adding four new antennas to the polar stations in Sweden and Canada. So what will be the benefit of these additional antennas, and how will that increase connectivity for the polar orbiting satellites? Yeah, we, we've just noticed that there's a, a lot of satellites uh, being launched. Uh, our current two antennas that are in Innovik, and then we probably have 15 antennas in um, in in northern Sweden. They're all, they're all quite close to capacity, and so with um, additional satellites being launched in the next few years and in the next decade, we're really planning for the growth. We know that there's going to be a lot of data generated in space. Um, being these polar these are polar stations, there's going to be a lot of contact time with those satellites as they orbit the poles. So uh, we we felt it was prudent to put one antenna. In um, in northern Sweden, and then we're going to add three antennas in um, in Innovik. Uh, like I said, one antenna is just about actually it's probably is operational now. We have a second one that'll be uh, online by the fall, and then uh, just starting construction on a third antenna uh, in Innovik. So hopefully, cross our fingers, it'll be done by the end of the year. How do these antennas? I've read a lot that these antennas support sort of environmental observation data. Um, I also read a little bit about sort of providing security uh, information um, in northern the northern latitudes, since there is not a lot of people there to observe this. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how it can sort of provide these different forms of data? Yeah, it's again since it's going around in the polar orbit, it's it's constantly sort of looking at the Earth, and so if you're looking for uh, changes or any kind of monitoring information, so from an Earth observation point of view, governments, companies, people, you know, they want to take pictures of. They look at Arctic ice melt, and they look at CO2 monitoring. They look at wave height, sea level. Um, Arctic ice temperature, or not Arctic, the Arctic, Arctic ice uh, expansion and contraction uh, over time. And so from an Earth observation point of view, the polar satellites and, and any of the stations in the north is absolutely 
it, it's just perfect because you get as as much contact time as you can and then using the kinevic option you get as much uh, data downloaded as you can possibly get um, alternatively on on a security uh, front you know you can monitor things you know you you know, we, we all like our neighbors, but sometimes the neighbors do things that they're not supposed to be doing. And so, you know, from space, you can monitor, you know, if people are building something that they might not supposed to be building, you know, in, in the Arctic, or if they're doing some some digging or dredging that they shouldn't be doing. Uh, or if, you know, on the military side, they're actually, you know, moving, moving troops or moving, uh, you know, hardware around. You can you can monitor that just to either either verify that something isn't happening or just keep track of um, of what is happening. So, Earth observation and security, uh, basically the ability to see the Earth as often as you possibly can and get that data down as quickly as you can, uh, that fits very very well with um, what we're doing in the North, both in Sweden and in Inuvik. So I'm wondering if you could just explain to me a little bit more about the technical side of this. So is it that these satellites? connect with your antennas and then the information is essentially downloaded from space to the earth and then is it you who handles the data or is it you just facilitate the transfer for these organizations we're a con we're a conduit conduit of the data to our customers and so our job is to connect with the satellite and get the data from the satellite to the ground to the customer um, so we we uh, typically do not do anything with the data uh, we are just um, basically a pipe uh, to get it to either their operations center, their mission operations control center, wh wherever they're going to be utilizing the data. And so can you talk to me, can you tell us a little bit about some of the efforts you're doing to improve the transfer of data or the security of it? What are some of the new and innovative techniques that you're working on at SS or SSC? Well, we are constantly looking at um, at security. You know, there's there's so many so much discussion these days about hacking and getting in and and you know people stealing data. You know, most of the data that um, you know comes across our network is sort of already encrypted before it before before we get it. So even if somebody did um, sort of hack in and get the data, it would probably not not be too usable to them. But we're constantly looking at our firewalls and then you know our techniques of um, of, of mitigation to keep people from coming in uh, and then all of the security, the cybersecurity aspects of that. So th there's a lot of work going on on, our, on the network side uh, for that. On the um, on the antenna side, we just we really just need to have sort of robust antennas so that when a customer wants to make contact with their satellite, um, they can make contact with their satellite. And so you know, we, we like to be available anytime, anywhere. Um, so no matter what orbit your satellite is in, whenever you want to, to talk to it, uh, we're ready in, um, you know, with our with our Kinevik uh, antennas. So it's, it's really about just maintaining proficiency, having sort of the best equipment that we can, and then, um, you know, go, going through proper cyber cybersecurity techniques to make sure that that data is uh, secure and is transfer. Uh, back to the customer site. Um, can you talk a little bit about the local communities in Vic and Karuna? Um, so could you talk a little bit about building the community, your relationship with the community there? Yeah, like I said, we've been in, in uh, Karuna. That's probably where we ha have, have built the community, you know, the most. Um, we've been there for over 30 years. We have, you know, there's probably 500 people employed by the space sector uh, in the north of Sweden, SSC, uh, employs about 200 of those people uh, at our site that I talked about up up in the north, um, and then uh, while on, on the uh, Inovic side we don't have any you know direct employees, uh, we do 
believe that we need to use local contractors. And so as we do expansion and as we do, you know, additional maintenance and other operations, we really look to the local area, you know, for, for those skills and for those resources and those contractors. So, um, you know, we want to do whatever we can to ensure that uh, the economic development continues in, in both of those areas. And so we try to do that by, you know, maintaining the expansion, maintaining the operation and, um, you know, trying to continue to grow that business, not only for our customers, but then if we can grow it for our customers, that should be bring back more work either in the establishment phase or in the operations phase uh, where the local the local community could help us out. Do you have any plans to hire employees in Innovic? Because you said you had 200 in, in Sweden. Yeah, we, we're talking about, uh, especially with the new antennas that we're putting in, we're talking about uh, uh, possibly having uh, some dedicated resource uh, in, in Canada at the ISSF. Um, you know, they would help help us with maintenance and operation of the antennas. Uh, we work closely with CCMEO, uh, who has some operation and maintenance folks uh, there as well. They are their local um, Innovic residents. So uh, we, we do have some long-term plans for that, but um, no, nothing, um, nothing in the next few months. Besides hiring local labor, would you say that there's any major benefits for um, communities like uh, Innovic who host these satellite stations? What would, your, would you highlight for that? Having having the ISSF in Innovic, uh, you know, one, it's a it's a high tech industry. It's a, it's a high tech business, and so I, I view space as, as exciting. And I'm a bit biased. I've been I've been involved for for 35 years, but probably because it is so exciting is why I've been involved for 35 years. And I would hope that that the community, um, you know, the, the the people that live there, the residents, the children, the school kids, that they get as excited about it as as we are about it, and. And, and then, you know, sort of take that in and really want to learn, you know, more about uh, the technical side of things and so that they could then, you know, contribute to the space industry as the space industry continues to grow in that area. Um, I think the other sort of tangential benefit is the ISSF needed better connectivity. And so that, with some other reasons, led to the McKenzie Valley fiber line being put in. And so now, you know, while, while it provides extra bandwidth for the ISSF to get its data back to it to the customers much, you know, much faster with much higher bandwidth, uh, it also provides uh, high bandwidth to the region. And so that benefits not only businesses, but that's going to benefit residents as well. So I think having, you know, a, a space project, a space company in Innovic is is really good for the community. Uh, it should encourage and and uh, instill excitement in the in the kids and in in the uh, community. It, uh, it then leads to other technology advances like the uh, Missouri Valley, or I mean the McKenzie Valley fiber. Um, and then the same thing exactly happens in Kirina. It's it's just been going on for much much longer. Like I said, over 30 years, and they've got lots of they they have um, space. Uh, the Space Physics Institute is up there. They have um, uh, STEC, which is a, a subsidiary of uh, an, an ESA or part of ESA. So there's quite a few space companies already in Kirina that, um, uh, you know, again, they've just been doing this for a long time and, and they develop more and more, um, you know, kind of local skills um, just because it is so interesting. Yeah, I'm really I'm glad you highlighted that con connectivity aspect, especially the benefits for local community. The uh, I think the fiber optic cable is huge because that's one thing we talk about at Arctic 360 a lot. There's this huge inter internet gap between what's available in northern Canada and what's available in southern Canada. So anything that can improve that is a foundation worth building upon, I guess. 
and, and then I hope that, you know, we on the business side can, you know, continue to use it and continue to pay for it and continue to, you know, keep it operational. And then, you know, the, the benefit of that uh, will benefit the residents. You know, you don't want residents to kind of pick up the full burden, you know, for, for the, the cost of that. So, you know, I think the businesses are using it quite a lot and, um, you know, then the, the residents should get the, the benefit of that. Jumping on to sort of the next area, um, do you think that the Kinevit concept will continue to grow? I know our past conversation over the past half an hour, we've been talking about the additional antennas. Do you see it as sort of being a continually growing project over the next coming years and continuing? Yeah, I think if you if you look at the number of satellites expected to be launched in the next 10 years, um, other than you know the ones for Starlink and OneWeb and, and Amazon Kuiper, you kind of take those out. You know, there's hundreds of satellites per year being launched for Earth observation, and 90% of those satellites will go into a polar orbit. So it's absolutely critical that you get more more downlink capacity in the Arctic areas, uh, just so you can get the data down as quickly as you need to get it down, and and get it actioned. You know, by whomever needs to take action on it. So we're extremely bullish on on the Kinevik concept, and that's why we. Uh, you know, kind of lean forward and, and put these four antennas in, one in Sweden and three in Canada. And I would expect in the in the next five years, we're going to be building out more than that. Uh, you, there, there's just so many satellites and so much data. Uh, it's it's really hard to get it down with the capacity that exists today. You know, regardless if it's just SSC, all of the antennas in the north, there's just not enough antennas to get all the data down. So it will, it will absolutely continue. Yeah. Do you think that the growth will mostly be at the two sort of sites that are established now, or do you see more sites sort of springing up in the Arctic to increase sort of? There could be a little of both. I mean, I, I would like to think that uh, we'll use the sites that we've spent so much time establishing and just expand those. I do know that um, at the ISSF, there's a, a phase three expansion plot. I, I, I toured that a couple of years ago when I was up there and it's got um, you know quite a few um, acres available for expansion. So uh, I would expect as our expansion continues, uh, we'll, we'll move into phase three uh, for, for our, next, uh, our next move. So I hope I'm not putting you too much on the spot with this question, but if you had to boil uh, the SSC and down to what, the, most in, the single most innovative aspect of this project, what would you say for it? I guess by, by reaching out and being the global company that we are, we were able to piece together two sites that can provide the, the longest amount of contact time for polar satellites of any company in the world. And, and, and we did that by really looking outside of our, our region. You know, in, if you looked only in Sweden, then you could only put antennas in the north of Sweden. But we really reached out globally and looked at, you know, who else is doing the same thing that we're doing and how do we partner with those people? And, you know, that led us to Canada, Swedish, the Swedish government values are very similar to the Canadian government values. And so that was just a match made in heaven. And then you know, the business kind of drove it. We needed a, lots of connect time. So I, I really just think it's our ability to think globally and solve problems um, you know, w without barriers. Well, great. My last question was gonna be whether or not you have anything to add before you finish, but uh, I feel like you wrapped that up pretty well right there. I, I think, uh, well, I'll just say one thing more on a personal note. Um, you know, I, I, um, I really love this project. I mean, I, I love the North and, and I love space. And so uh, this project ties both of those things together. And um, 
you know, you'll say, you, somebody might say, well, he said he lives in Los Angeles, so why does he love the North? And that's exactly why I love the North, because I think I take for granted our nice weather, and I really love the change of seasons. And so when, uh, you know, I have very fond mem memories. I've been to the North of Sweden, you know, five or six times. I've been to Northern, Northern Canada, you know, four or five times. And every time I go, it is beautiful. The people are so nice. Uh, I love the, the variety of culture. I love the, uh, uh, the, you know, the heritage and the fact that we can give back by putting a, a space project uh, in both of those areas, I think is, is very, very important to me. And I think it's very, very important to, uh, to those communities as well. And so um, you know, we want to try to continue to give back not only in the business side, but also in the cultural side. Thank you so much, Dan. That's a great way to sort of wrap it up. I know I always appreciate when people add a little bit of a personal touch to their perspective and why they're so interested in the Arctic. I really appreciate that. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Connor. Thank you very much.